Money FM 89.3. Best of the evening runway. Under the radar. You're listening to Money FM 89.3, and it's now time for Under the Radar with me, Chua Tiantian. Now, today we're going to talk about a company that makes scaffolds, not for buildings, but scaffolds that can be implanted into the human body for bones and tissues to grow. Now, started in 1992, our guest is Osteopor, an Australia and Singapore based medical technology company commercializing a range of products specifically engineered to facilitate natural bone healing across multiple therapeutic areas. Now, one of the firm's products included the OsteoMesh, which is a mesh-like polymer scaffold that can be implanted into patients' skulls to help them regenerate bone tissues that were taken out in surgical procedures. Other products include those that can be used for rhinoplasty or a nose implant surgery, as well as those that can be used for jaw surgeries to help people eat and speak normally after injuries. The firm was listed on the Australian Securities Exchange in September 2019 and achieved a milestone of 80,000 implants across all major continents in 2022. But how does Osteopore commercialise its products and are its patients its customers as well? How does it then assess its relationships with other players such as insurers? Now, Speaking of insurers, Osteopore announced in May last year that the most prominent medical scheme in South Africa, the Discovery Health Medical Scheme, has approved the reimbursement of the OsteoMesh product. But how big is the South African market to Osteopore and how important is this to the firm's top and bottom lines? Meanwhile, the firm had in September 2023 signed an agreement with Tamasic Linked InnoVentures to commercialise Osteopore's orthopaedic products in China. But again, how much money does this represent for the firm? There are lots of questions. And for more, I've got with me in studio, Dr. Lim Jing, CEO and CTO at Osteopore. Dr. Lim, welcome. Hi, Tian Thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, great to have you. And Dr. Lim, we've briefly talked about Osteopore as an Australia and Singapore-based medical technology company commercialising on a wide range of implants. We're talking about scaffold implants in particular. But let's hear from you. What are the products and services provided by Osteopore exactly? Um, at Osteopore, we make a range of uh, 3D printed devices. And I think it's important to share why we chose 3D printing as a manufacturing technology. Mm. Uh, many years ago, uh, the co-founding team really wanted to revolutionise how patients heal. Mm. Uh, and back then, the available solutions were a lot of titanium and permanent plastics that were implanted into the body. So granted, these have been used for a long time, um, but they wanted to envision a different way that um, you know, bone can regrow for the patients and eventually that foreign body is dissolved completely in the patient's body over a period of time. Uh, mm. So back then, when we conducted the research we combined a bioresorbable polymer or medical plastic, uh, made it with 3D printing to mm. kind of recapitulate that bone microenvironment. And then we have a platform to have many, many different products mm. with different shapes, geometries yeah. that will target different applications. Mm. Right. And how would you then, uh, Dr. Lim, describe Osteopause's value proposition and business model then? What is your positioning strategy? How does your products differ from the traditional titanium or metal implants? I think from a positioning standpoint, uh, we really are looking into the future uh, and not into so far a distant future where it, it becomes difficult to commercialise. Mm. Uh, but we really focus on the points where uh, there is something called tissue engineering in surgery. 
Uh, and that is an application area which brings the medical community forward in terms of how they can treat patients and how patients can benefit from the overall procedure. Mm. Uh, and hence, that differentiating point between us and other uh, incumbents or predecessors in the market would be the ability for us to um, get that microstructure that enables bone cells and blood vessels mm. to grow into our structure that we've created. Mm. Uh, and at the same time as bone tissue regrows, yeah. uh, we allow the polymer to gently dissolve in the body. Mm. And at the end of that 24-month period, a yeah. uh, patient recovers with their own natural tissue. Right. And appreciate if we could get this question sorted out early on in the conversation, Dr. Lim. How many geographical markets is osteopor present in right now? What is your scale of operations in the various markets and which is the most important one to you where dollars and cents are concerned? Um, we are in 25 countries at the moment mm. uh, and of course they are launched at various different times along our commercialization journey so not everyone is as mature as the other. Uh, in terms of dollars and cents, the most uh, impactful markets as of now uh, would be in the Asia-Pacific and ASEAN regions, mm. uh, including countries like uh, South Korea, Vietnam and the Philippines. Mm. Uh, of course, not forgetting Singapore, our home base. Mm. Um, but in terms of future growth and potential, I think the Europe, Middle East, Africa region is fairly important to us. Uh, mm. It helps that we have the latest version of the CE marking, which is very mm. important uh, to demonstrate safety and effectiveness of our product. And of course, no one would be able to ignore the two biggest single countries in the world, US and China. Right. Okay. And let's talk a little bit about pricing and customer base, Dr. Lim. I believe some of your skull scaffold implants, namely the OsteoMesh, it costs between uh, 10000 to 20000 and that is the pricing in 2022. Now, given the price point, who would you then determine as your customer base? Are we talking about the end user or the patient? Or are we talking about government programs that provides the subsidies? Are we talking about insurers here? Uh, I think to clarify that point on the price point, uh, it really depends on the level of customization. Yes. Uh, so for something that costs in a five-figure range, it generally is a customized product, uh, patient-specific. Um, but for a lot of our standard implants, which form more than 90% of our annual revenue, mm. these are standard produced parts, which uh, then cost much less and lower mm. uh, than the customized parts. Uh, in terms of our end-user I think it depends on the structure of the country. Mm. Uh, so in some countries, like you mentioned earlier in the introduction, uh, for example, South Africa, uh, having insurer support is important and necessary in the commercialization journey. Um, in other countries and jurisdictions, a lot of that transaction is done through a distributor mm. to the end user, which then represents generally a clinic or a hospital. Uh, and hence, that's how generally medical device companies transact. Right. Okay. And uh, any names of the customers that you might be able to share at this point in time? Uh, I think from a, from a broad perspective, uh, we've already landed quite a few uh, big names in the US. Mm. Uh, they started their early uh, experience, clinical mm. experience on the product. Um, and we're quite happy that um, that early experience has gone well. Um, some of those names uh, may include Mayo Clinic uh, as a start point. Um, and then in Singapore, all of the institutions in, in Singapore are using our products. Mm. Um, we've, we've had some uh, fairly good and impactful news coming out 
recently mm. uh, where this double cranial reconstruction was conducted in mm. NUH. Uh, and then beyond the shores of Singapore, there's quite a, lit, a lot of uh, revolutionising work that mm. had been done in Australia. Yeah. Uh, so over the past few years, we've had uh, limb salvaging procedures done mm. uh, in Down Under. Uh, and the patients have recovered very, very well. Mm. Uh, we are very encouraged and very happy that mm. the technology can have such kind of transformative impact for our patients. Mm. Okay, and I do want to talk about the state of commercialization because you talked a lot about being able to commercialize your products, working to commercialize your products. Um, granted that osteopause products are already in use, very much so in Singapore as well, uh, what is the stage of commercialization we are looking at elsewhere around the world? Are we talking about being fully operational at a commercial scale or are we talking about still trial and error at this point? I think it's gone beyond largely all the trial and errors mm-hmm. um, because as a company, we've obtained all the necessary regulatory clearances. Mm. So we're talking about big ones like FDA clearances, uh, CE marking, Singapore and HSA, um, Australia's TGA, which are known mm. to be fairly difficult to get approvals for. Um, and hence, from a commercialization perspective, it's really going out there to get the adoption by the clinicians. And... Um, you know, getting cl- clinicians to adopt new technology or different technology can sometimes be mm. a process. Yeah. Uh, so we have to do quite a fair bit of education. Mm. Uh, we have our marketing colleagues to work with our sales guys to develop that marketing and educational aspect. Uh, and then, of course, they have their trial initial cases. Uh, and the good thing is uh, every time they have done one case, they find that the outcomes are good. Uh, and then they tend to become a recurring user of the product. So that's that's very encouraging. Mm. Um, in the region, I think uh, the more mature markets for us include uh, Vietnam, mm. uh, because they have been going at it for quite a couple of years now. Wow! And uh, hence, they do contribute a fair amount of products mm. uh, that we send we send to. Mm. And I do want to zoom in on the topic of insurers. So we talked about uh, Osteopore announcing in May last year that the most prominent medical scheme in South Africa, also called the Discovery Health Medical Scheme, DHMS, it has approved the reimbursement of its of your OsteoMesh product. If we take a step back, Dr. Lim, could we find out how big is the South African market to Osteopore? How important is working with insurers in general as well? At the moment, the South African market is considered fairly new for us. Um, but through different engagements, whether one-on-one or through conferences and exhibitions, uh, we've noted that there is a lot of excitement within the South African medical community mm. about being able to gain access uh, to t- technology like what we have developed and commercialised. Um, and hence, having that, su- that support from the Discovery Health Medical Scheme is really important in trying to create a bigger, larger mass uh, of users and mm. patients uh, so that they can gain access to the product. Um, we do envision that uh, the South African market will continue to grow uh, at a reasonable rate mm. um, because it's still fairly new. Mm. Uh, and we do see a, de- a decent potential for us uh, in this particular country. Mm. Don't mind me asking, what's a reasonable rate in your opinion? Uh, I think we're looking at double-digit percentage growth. Okay. And uh, we love talking about money on Money FM, Dr. Lim. And I believe Osteopause said revenue growth persisted into Q4 in the calendar year of 2023. Revenues growing 61% year on year. Also achieved a record four-year revenue of 2.21 million Aussie dollars, around 1.9 million Sing dollars. There's some questions here. What were the key drivers behind that revenue growth? What is profit then looking like? 
I think as a company, as we continue to evolve in our commercialization journey, uh, it is a matter of getting down to focus, uh, very focused intent on how we engage our customers and our distributors. Uh, secondly, on uh, some level of cost control and management. Um, so I think the combination of the two has led us to achieving these very important milestones. Uh, I think earlier you mentioned about 80,000 implants. In fact, at the end of 2023, we managed mm. to cross 100,000 implants globally. Mm. So again, that is a fairly significant uh, achievement for a small company like us. Mm. Uh, and we're very proud to be able to demonstrate that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes there's a lingo called proof of concept or proof of commercialization. Yeah. I think we've, we've done that. Uh, and we're looking to a new stage of growth in mm. the coming years. Um, for us, um, one of our key drivers, again, is the ability to market and educate yeah. uh, our users on how this product is supposed to function and how it can help them and their patients. Mm. Okay. Um, but Dr. Lim, we're looking at single-digit millions for revenue, right? How far is that enough for the firm to spend on future R&D works? Or is that mostly funded, or your R&D work, uh, is that mostly funded by investors and R&D partnerships? I mean, in Q2 of 2023, you've raised some 908000 Aussie dollars in an oversubscribed shortfall placement round. You've signed a $4 million Aussie dollars binding R&D partnership with Cellhue to commercialise your products in China. How does it then work in terms of your R&D work? I think from an R&D perspective, what we tend to do is to apply what is known, in, known as a technology readiness level approach. Uh, so for some of the developments and technologies that are fairly low on the TRL, which means they are less ready for commercialization, mm -hmm. we tend to work with a lot of uh, research institutes around mm -hmm. the world. Right? Uh, we partner up with them to do the early investigation. Uh, but whatever that's brought into the company is more uh, the D, the development part of the work, uh, where we have a clear site to commercialization uh, uh, market access. Uh, and that's how we tend to do our balancing act. Uh, for a lot of the funds that we receive, either through um, capital raises or placements, as you've just mentioned, yeah. uh, we tend to focus that a lot more on pushing products commercially. Mm. Uh, and then for the R&D, we'll scale back uh, to focus on things that would drive us into the future. Right. Um, and one of them include our dental and orthopedic products. Mm. And speaking of orthopedic products, I do want to take a look at the road ahead. You guys had in September last year signed an agreement with Tomasic Linked InnoVentures to commercialise orthopedic products in China. How much money does this represent for the firm? I think in the near term, uh, it may not mean a lot, unfortunately, but um, the Chinese market is massive, as we all know, uh, and it can be very complicated from a structural and approach point of view. So uh, having a good and strong partner in InnoVentures is very important for us. Um, at this point, uh, the Chinese market entry may take a couple of years, uh, but with a good, strong partner behind us, we are confident of approaching the market in a, in a good and systematic way uh, and having the shortest path to commercialization. Mm. And Dr. Lim, you guys are seeing a lot of developments of late. I'm just going to list three of them and you let us know which is the most important one to you and has the biggest impact on growth trajectory. Now, one is happening in Singapore, signing an exclusive distribution partnership with Margiton to distribute dental and oral products. Um, you also made a return to the EU market by fulfilling new regulations. 
And the third development is a sub-distribution partnership with Kellyum to uh, boost presence in US East Coast. Which is the one that really stood out to you? Uh, I think from a uh, just from a market point of view, I think the US yeah. one has to be the biggest and mm-hmm. most the one with the highest potential. Um, as we know, the US geography is very, very large mm. uh, and very rarely would a single company be able to cover the entire geography yeah. on their own, uh, which is why having uh, Kalinium on board with our main distributor, Bioplate, uh, to approach the market is a fairly important and strategic move for us. Um, there's some, you know, uh, local internal competition between the East and the West anyway. Yeah. So I think it helps by, you know, balancing a little bit mm. of that um, uh, that need for uh, who is the first mover, mm-hmm. uh, who has done the more cases to date. Uh, so a bit of playing on mm. that. Um, I think the second one that uh, is, is fairly important is the dental market. Mm. Uh, we, we have been working at this for a couple of years now. Mm. Uh, and I think through Majorton, which is again a good uh, partner for us, uh, we anticipate that uh, over a period of time, uh, we would be able to get into more clinics and hospitals, mm. uh, get them to experience and use the product. Uh, and, you know, dental procedures are fairly common and regular, yeah. uh, especially in the region. So I mm. think we, we do have hopes uh, for these two particular areas. Mm. And before we let you go, uh, Dr. Lim, what are some future plans for osteopore for the year of 2024? What can we look forward to here in Singapore? I think that uh, the company has also been doing quite a bit of good work in the orthopedic space. Um, so if you look back at some of the news uh, related to osteopore, you would find uh, many orthopedic related applications. So for us, as we um, continue to evolve and grow the company, um, the orthopedic department and product range uh, is fairly important for mm-hmm. that growth trajectory. Uh, and we do look forward in the near future where we have uh, market access for orthopedic products. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can maybe partner up with um, you know, bigger peers in the market. Mm. Uh, to grow that product adoption mm. and uh, touch more lives in the patient community. Right. Thanks a lot, Dr. Lim. Uh, looking forward to that as well. That was Dr. Lim Jing, CEO and Chief Technology Officer at Osteopore. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.